Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus. It's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Joe and I'm one of the leaders here and we're so glad that you're here. Today we're going to be studying a passage out of the Bible in Luke chapter 10. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 10. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can look underneath a seat around you where there's a hardback Bible with a black cover. In that Bible you can turn to page 869. We'll also put the words up on the screen for you. And last week we learned that God has distilled or summed up all of his commandments into two. The first one being, we should love him with everything that we have. The second one being, we should love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And what we learned last week was that the purpose of loving our neighbor as we love ourselves is not just because God said so, and it's, it's not just because people will have good done to them if we love them, it's because God's glory is revealed in our good deeds towards others. And so we love our neighbor as we love ourselves so that people can look at us and not say, wow, what an amazing person you are. Wow, what wonderful things you've done. But so that they'll look at us and say, wow, what an amazing God you have. Because he's the one that can truly help us. My, my help that I can give to anyone only goes so far. But if my good deeds can show someone who God is, they can be introduced to him and he can change their life. That's why we love our neighbor. And in that passage, the reason we're talking about that is found in Luke chapter 10, where where Jesus is having a conversation with a man. The Bible calls him a lawyer, and this, this lawyer, and he's not a lawyer like we think of in our day, and he's not an attorney at law. He would have been an expert in the Jewish religious law. And so this expert in Jewish religious law comes to Jesus, and he says to Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, Behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How can I live forever? Wouldn't that be a wonderful question to have answered? What do I need to do to live forever? And Jesus said to him, Well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? He says, You're the expert in the law. How about you tell me? And verse 27, the man answers, well, the law says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you've answered correctly. Good on you, brother. Do this, and you will live. But the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said this to Jesus. He said, who is my neighbor? You see, Jesus, it's not enough for, for me to know that I should love my neighbor as I love myself. I want to know who my neighbor is. I want to know who I need to love as my neighbor. Verse 30, Jesus replied with a story. That, it's hilarious. Jesus is never answering questions with answers. 
He's always telling stories or asking more questions. It's kind of frustrating, actually. But in verse 30, he just tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. This way from Jerusalem to Jericho was about a 17-mile journey, and it was fraught with gang violence. It was believed that many times if you traveled this way, especially alone, you would be attacked. You would be mugged. You'd get jumped. So much so that they began to call this path from Jerusalem to Jericho the way of blood, the bloody way, bloodstream. If you will, don't go down blood street after 10, they would say. And, and this man went down blood street after 10 and he was jumped and they stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest, good, a priest, someone who works at the temple, someone who worships God all day long, someone who is super close to God all of the time. He was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. By chance, a Levite, when he came to the place, a Levite would have been the priest's assistant in the temple, someone who's also close to God all of the time. When he saw him, he came to the place where the victimized man was, and he passed by on the other side too. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, when he, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and he saw the man who'd been victimized, and he had compassion And he went to him and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him there. And the next day he took out two denarii, which were two coins, and he gave them to the innkeeper saying, you take care of him. And if you spend anything else, I'll repay you when I come back. Jesus turns to the lawyer then and finishing his story, he says, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, it was the one who showed him mercy. Duh. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now this story is what we call the parable of the good Samaritan. And in fact, the word Samaritan has become a byword in our culture for someone who is good. We don't even have to attach the adjective good to Samaritan to know that it means someone who's kind, someone who goes out of their way to help other people. The word Samaritan in our culture means someone who gives of themselves to take care of others. And we get that word from this story. Deeper than understanding, though, that to love our neighbor as we love ourselves is to is to give of ourselves completely to them. I think there's something more that Jesus wanted the lawyer to understand and for us to understand as well. And so we're going to look at this question that he asked, who is my neighbor? And we're going to ask that question, who is my neighbor, just like he did. And we're going to hope to get an answer from Jesus's non-answer today. So would you pray with me as we ask God to help us understand? Lord, we are so thankful for the Bible. We're so thankful that we have the gift of this book that teaches us about you. I pray that as we study it today, that's what we would learn, who you are, how much you love us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help us to listen to you. Teach us today more about your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. 
I used to have this picture of Jesus that he was some stuffy guy who was too holy for anybody else who'd walk around with his chest puffed out and his head hella high saying things like, yes, my son, and, and yes, my child, everywhere he went. And that's the picture I had of who Jesus was for a really long time. But when you read the Bible, we don't get a picture of Jesus like that at all. He's sassy. He's snarky. He doesn't answer questions with answers. When people approach him with questions, this lawyer comes to him and he asks him a question. And Jesus is like, you tell me. And he tells him and Jesus is like, that sounds right. Sound, sounds like a good answer. And he asks him another question. And Jesus says, how about a story instead of an answer? And then finally, when he answers the question in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? That answer is actually just a question. He's always doing that. He's, he's the smartest man we would ever know. He's the neatest, most interesting person who ever lived. When you look at his life and see the way that he interacted with people, he always was the smartest guy in the room and always was one step ahead of everyone else. It's so cool to see that that's who Jesus is. And we get a picture of this here. And this man comes to Jesus and he's like, I want to know what I need to do in order to live forever. And we learn in verse 25 that he's actually asking Jesus this question because he wants to test him. As an expert in the law, he says, if I can get Jesus to answer me wrongly, if I can get Jesus to answer me in a way that is contrary to what the law teaches, we can accuse him and we can have him put in jail. So he comes to test him. And Jesus trips him up and asks him a question instead. And the guy answers and he says, if you do these things, if you love God with everything you have, and if you love your neighbor as yourself, you will live. You will find eternal life. That's how we get eternal life, Jesus says. Verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself. We know from verse 25 that he's just putting Jesus to the test. He's just seeing, like, what's he going to say? Is he going to give me the right answer according to what I know? But the original language implies here in verse 29 that when it says he was desiring to justify himself, what's really going on is that at this point, he really wants to know what to do. He really wants the answer. What do I need to do to gain eternal life? And so he's pressing Jesus a little bit more because he realizes there's something about this guy that he probably knows more than I do. And if I'm going to get an answer to this eternal question, I've got to go to him. So he presses him a little harder and he says, I want to be righteous. I want to be right. I want to do the right thing. Is that all of us? Don't we all just want to do the right thing? He looks to Jesus and says, I want to do the right thing. So in order to know how to love my neighbor as myself, I need to know who my neighbor is. It's interesting to me that he didn't say, how can I love God with all of my heart? Because he probably already figured that out in his mind. I know how to love God with all my heart. I'm an expert in his law. Jesus, I read the Bible every day. I have a devotional every day. I take pictures of my Bible and cups of coffee and put them on Instagram. <laughs> I have a highlighter that I mark up my Bible. I got a devotional journal that I write in every day. Jesus, I love God. It's other people I can't stand. <laughs> Who am I supposed to love as my neighbor? 
So Jesus replies with this story. Well, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He would have been a Jewish man leaving Jerusalem and to Jericho. And he fell among robbers. He gets jumped. They stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. If you think about for a moment, those people that we have trouble standing, because I said that, that this guy's like, I love God. It's other people I can't stand. I can raise my hand to that and agree. I love God, I think. It's other people I have trouble with. And I wonder if we'd be able to love them a little bit better if we realized that maybe those people who give us the most trouble, maybe those people who are hardest for us to love are the way they are because of the things that have happened to them. Life has jumped them. Sin has wounded them and beaten them and stripped them of their dignity and they've been abandoned. And so now because they've been left alone so many times, they do all they can to push everybody else away because if I can push you away, I'm in control of the relationship and you're not going to hurt me. I'm going to hurt you first. And so they become really difficult for us to deal with. I wonder maybe sometimes if we would just take a moment and realize that those people who are hard for us to love are that way because of what they've gone through. He says this man was stripped of his clothes. He was beaten and he was abandoned there to die. Verse 31, by chance, A priest was going down that road. Now, this word chance could also be translated coincidence. For those of us who who believe what the Bible says about who God is, those of us who would would be able to take ideas of God's nature and, and his understanding of the universe from all the different parts of the Bible. When we understand that God is, is ruling and reigning over all things as someone who is infinite and magnificent and sovereign over all, someone who is so completely different than we are that he's able to see into the future while he's right here in the present. He's able to look into the past while he's right there in the present. He's not bound by the limitations of time and space. If we believe that that's who God is, and we also understand that not only is he he outside of time and space, but he loves to invade our time and space as well and get up all in our business, it's hard for us to believe that there's any such thing as a coincidence. So when I read by chance, a priest was going down that road, I read it like this. God sent a priest along that road. Because there was a man who'd been victimized. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Now, I'd mentioned earlier that the priest's job was to stand in the temple in God's very presence and offer sacrifices all day long for the sins of the people. And the typical priest would serve about a month at a time. So you could say that for a whole month, 30 days, he's been in the very presence of God. And I read this and I realize that it is entirely possible for me to be really close to God and miss his heart for other people and just pass them by when I see him, when he puts me in their way. So likewise, a Levite, this is the assistant to the priest at the temple. Likewise, God puts a Levite On the road, when he came to the place and saw the victim, he also passed by on the other side. Now, before we think too hard about judging them, I want to ask us all, including myself, this question. How well do you do in a crisis? 
How well do you do when, when something happens that, that looks to be terrifying and you just don't know what to do? I was traveling with Pastor Jeff earlier this week and we're on an interstate at about 9.30 p.m. And as we're driving along, we see this car has gone off of the road and veered into a hedge off of the interstate. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's terrifying. And he's like, you think we should stop and help? And I want to be like, no, let's go home. I'm tired. He's like, we should stop and help. So we pulled over and I kick into rescue mode. I'm like marching over there like, okay, okay, we're going to get there. And as I get closer, I begin to wonder, well, what if, what if this person's in really bad shape? Am I going to be able to handle it when I see that? What if this person is faking it and there's robbers behind the bushes and they're going to jump out <laughs> and I'm going to need a good Samaritan? So... <laughs> Quickly, my rescue mode turned into SWAT team mode. <laughs> and I think the same thing was happening to Pastor Jeff because he's calling out, you okay in there? <laughs> Are you hurt? <laughs> and this little girl who couldn't be more than 16 pokes her head out and was like, I'm fine. My dad's coming. Leave me alone, please. I'm not hurt. I'm okay. She was fine. But it's amazing what we think we can do until a crisis comes along. It's easy for us to judge the priest and the Levite. I want to tell a little story about a friend of mine who works here at the church. I won't say her name, but it rhymes with scare me. <laughs> and, and, and the people, the people who know Lar scare me, the people who know her would never say of her that she's, she's weak or afraid and that she can't tackle anything that comes her way and that she's, she's strong and anything that comes at her, she can overcome. The people who know her would never say she couldn't do that. But let me tell you, one day I was walking down the hall in our office space and I heard this whimper coming from the bathroom area. Startled, I walk into the bathroom to find Laramie sitting on the floor next to the sink with it running in her hand in it. Water running over her hand and I'm like, Laramie, what's... What's wrong? Are, are, are you okay? And she's like, I cut my finger and I'm bleeding. And she couldn't handle the sight of blood. And so who she was completely shut down in that moment of crisis. Now put yourselves in the shoes of the priest and the Levite walking by there and seeing that man who's been beaten. What if the guys who beat him up are still around? I've been away from my family for a whole month and my wife and my kids are waiting for me. I can't take time out of my day to stop and help them. I'm just too busy. I'm going to go along. When we put ourselves in their shoes, it's not that hard to realize how easy it is to go the other way, to walk around someone who's in need, who's hurt, and who's wounded. Verse 33, Jesus says, but a Samaritan as he journeyed, came to where the victim was. Now, in our day, the word Samaritan is a byword for someone who is kind and helpful and charitable. In their day, the word Samaritan was a byword for one of those cuss words that we use an acronym for. He was a terrible person in their eyes. When they thought of the word Samaritan, they thought of the word devil or heretic. You see, the Samaritans were a group of people who were part Jewish, part Assyrian, and they lived nearby the Jewish lands, and they worshiped the same God that the Jews worshiped. But the Jews would look at them and say, you don't worship him correctly because you don't worship him in the temple. And the Samaritans would look at the Jews and say, you don't worship God correctly because you don't worship him where we are. And there's so much bad blood between them. It was worse than Cubs and Cardinals fans. And they hated each other so much that the Jews thought of them as less than dogs. 
And likewise, the Samaritans thought of the Jews as less than dogs. So when Jesus is telling this story that the priest and Levite, the religious leaders of our people, the upstanding leaders of our nation, when they come along to where this wounded man is, they pass by, but a Samaritan, someone that we hate, someone who's done us wrong, he came and he saw the victim and he had compassion. This is really messing the lawyer up now, as you can imagine, and everyone who's listening. What? A Samaritan? How could he even say that word? We don't even let that word come off of our lips. It's so dirty. How could he say that a Samaritan helped the man over the priest and the Levite? And the Samaritan, verse 34, when he went to the man who was wounded, he bound up his wounds. He poured on oil and wine, which is weird to me. It's like, you're not preparing a brisket, bro. You're trying to help a guy. He poured on oil and wine. It's amazing how medicine has advanced, except for, <laughs> except for when it comes to our parents. Anybody else have like the mom who did weird home remedies? Just, just walk it up. One time I have an abscess on my back. My mom says, I know what'll take care of it. Bacon fat and a Band-Aid. It's the weirdest thing. But I didn't argue because I walked around and smelled like bacon all day. <laughs> and the abscess was gone by the end of the day. I don't know. There's something about bacon fat. One time... I'm standing outside with my friends and my friend Cody comes up behind me and he pushes me onto the ground because that's what friends do. I'm like eight or nine years old. Boys, that's what we do. We push each other. And I fall onto the ground and I skin my knee and I look at it and it's pretty bad. What I didn't realize that where he pushed me on the pad of concrete where I was, there was about an inch long screw that was anchored into the concrete. And so when Cody pushes me down, my knee goes forward into onto the screw, the screw going into my knee. So I pull my knee off the screw, I bend down and I look at it. And you ever have one of those moments where time just slows down? <laughs> There's an inch deep hole in my knee with a red, tiny red dot at the bottom. Before too long, that hole fills with crimson liquid that's now gushing over the side of my knee. And I realize in this moment, I, I think I need some assistance from an adult. So what I should do is I should go to my mom and my dad and say, mom, dad, I need a little bit of help here. I've been injured. And the only way, because maybe the shock or the stress or the pain that I was in, the only thing I could muster to get their attention was to say something like, mommy, help me. And mom comes out and she's like, what's wrong? Oh, you just scraped your knee. And I'm trying to say, no, I'm punctured, but I can't get it out. She's like, no, you need a, you need a Band-Aid. We'll get you a Band-Aid. And I'm like, I think I need a doctor. You need a Band-Aid. You'll be fine. Got an inch long, deep hole in my knee, and mom's trying to fix it with a Band-Aid. She runs inside to get a Band-Aid, and guess what? No Band-Aids in the house. Oh. Thankfully, my grandma and grandpa live around the corner. And she's like, we'll go to grandma and grandpa's, and we'll get you a Band-Aid from there. I'm sure they have one. I'm like, oh, great. So I hobble over to the car to get in the front seat. My mom's like, no, you'll get blood on the seat. We're walking. <laughs> you need to walk this off anyway, Joe. And so I hobble and put this Band-Aid over a hole in my knee because... That was my mom's medicine. I needed more than a Band-Aid. I needed a doctor. I needed healing. I needed help that was deeper than the surface Band-Aid would allow. I eventually recovered six years later. <laughs> I'm, I'm just being serious. 
still have the scar. <laughs> but he pours on oil and wine, which to them, you, you, in your first aid kit in those days, you, you couldn't pour water on a wound because it's probably dirty. And, and you might cause infection if you pour water on a wound. But what does wine have in it? It has, has alcohol in it, which is an antiseptic. And so he pours on this wine to hopefully heal the wound. He puts oil on it to, I don't know, make it crisp when he cooks it. I don't, I don't know what the oil's for, but he does this and he's trying to care for him and he sets him on his own animal. He puts the wounded man on his donkey and he brings him to an inn to take care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. This would have been enough money for the man to stay in the hotel for three to eight weeks. Now, I stayed in a couple hotels this week. I don't want to tell you, three to eight weeks in a hotel is expensive. This is a lot of money he's spending for this man. And he says, take care of him, and if you spend anything else, I'll repay you when I come back. So then Jesus turns to the lawyer and he says, so which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the one who fell among the robbers? And the guy, verse 37, he can't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan. So he just says, what well, was the one who showed him mercy? That's who did it. And Jesus is like, you're right. You're right. You, you go do the same thing. See, you wanted me to, to answer the question, who am I supposed to love as my neighbor? But if I tell you who you're supposed to love, if I tell you who your neighbor is, you know what you'll be able to do? You'll be able to tell me who your neighbor is not. You'll be able to categorize people that you don't have to love because they're not your neighbor. So Jesus says, instead of telling you who your neighbor is, I'm going to show you what real love for your neighbor actually looks like. It looks like going to the wounded, those people who rub us the wrong way, those people that we can't stand to be around, that we do all that we can to avoid. It looks like going to them and dressing their wounds and acknowledging that maybe, just maybe they are the way they are because of the way life has treated them. It looks like going to them and allowing love to disrupt my plans and my comfort. He, he puts the man on his own donkey. He no longer gets the comfortable ride to Jericho. And now he's going out of his way. He's interrupting his plans because he's allowing love to disrupt his own life in order to care for someone else. Jesus says this is what real love looks like. He's also showing us that love demands something from us. It is costly to love other people the way God says to love them. It costs us something. If it was easy, if it was painless, we wouldn't be having this conversation. If it was easy for us, the question, who is my neighbor, would never be asked. Because if you have to ask the question, who do I have to love, you already have people in mind that you don't want to love. It's not easy for us. It's costly. It demands something from us in order to love our neighbor as ourselves, in order to display what true love is. It requires of us more than simply passing by people when we see them and their need. When I, when I look at this story, it's really easy for me to put myself in it. It's really easy for me to identify myself with the lawyer, the expert in the law. Not that I think I'm an expert, but because of the thing that it says about him wanting to justify himself. I 
oftentimes just want to do the right thing. And I go to God and I say, will you, will you show me what the right thing is? Will you, will you tell me what I need to do here? Jesus, what do I need to do in order to become righteous? What do I need to do in order to be right? And if I'm honest, it's easy for me to identify myself with the priest and the Levite because there have been times where I have seen someone in need and I looked the other way, where I had the opportunity to help someone, where it was within my means and propriety to do something kind for someone else. And I chose not to do it because I had something better on my mind to do. I I identify with the priest and the Levite. And I also identify with the Good Samaritan. There have been times, two probably, that I, I have seen an opportunity to do good to someone else. And I have chosen to be charitable in that. I've chosen to be kind even when it wasn't easy. And I'm sure all of us can look in the story and see moments in our lives where we've been like all three. Where we, we just want to know what the right thing is to do. Or where we've looked the other way when they had the opportunity to help. Or when we've given of ourselves to help another person. We can all look in the story and see that. But I wonder if Jesus, when he's telling the lawyer this story, if he wouldn't want him to realize something else, if if he wouldn't say something like this, I don't want you to look at this Samaritan and see him as an example for how you should live. I don't want you to see that. Here's what I want you to do. Maybe Jesus is saying this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at the wounded man who was beaten and left alone along the road and realize that that's who you are. That's who I am. The wounded, the beaten man who life and my own sin has left me alone. And all the while the law comes along and says, you're dead, you're dead, you're dead. Condemnation and religious systems come along and pass us by and say, you're dead, you're dead. There's nothing you can do. And they're powerless to help us until a man who was despised and rejected by his own people comes along and says, I will give everything to heal you. I will give everything to give you life. I don't think Jesus is saying, look at the good Samaritan and see him as an example. I think he's saying, hey, I'm the great Samaritan. We all need him. We all need that. Before we ever imagine we can truly love someone else this way, we need his love to touch our hearts because we're all just wounded people bumping around, wounding other people. We've all been left alone and beaten and abandoned by our sin until Jesus comes and heals us. The one the Bible says that his wounds, the wounds that he took when he was nailed to a cross, the wounds that he took when he was beaten with whips before he was nailed to a cross, his wounds have healed us. That's what we need to understand. We're the wounded traveler that needs a great Samaritan, Jesus. And we allow him to come and speak to us and heal us. And we allow him to come and care for us and carry us to a place where he wants to love us and nurture us. And I guarantee that wounded traveler, when he was well, if he ever saw someone in the position that he was in before, stopped to help. 
This is how we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We realize that Jesus loved us when we didn't deserve it or weren't worthy or didn't have anything to give him back. But he left everything disrupting his throne in heaven, leaving his sovereignty over all of the universe, coming to the earth in the form of a man and laying down his life for our sins. We need Jesus to heal us. In just a moment, the band is going to be returning in. And when they do, we're going to have an opportunity to pray and sing worship to God. And, and during this time, I, I want us to think about a couple of things. We can pause and we can stop and we can ask God to show us if there's anyone in my life that I'm ignoring, that I'm avoiding who they keep coming up, that just by chance, I keep running into this person. By chance, I keep coming across them. By chance, I keep hearing their name. I keep thinking of them. I can't get them off my mind. I wonder if God would show us this morning that he's putting us there to help them. And I also wonder if there are some of us in the room who actually have never had a moment where we've experienced Jesus coming to us like a great Samaritan and healing us. When we look at the wounds that are in our hearts and, and we question and wonder if there's anything of value and we feel like we've been left for dead. And is there anybody who's coming to save me? Yes, his name is Jesus and he's already come to save you. And if you haven't had that moment where you've looked to him and said, Jesus, I need you. Now's the time. We, we build this moment into our gathering where we sing because we want to be able to pause and reflect and call out to Jesus to help us. I also imagine that there are, are in the room many of us who are believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, Christians, whatever you call yourself, who we still have not dealt with many wounds that are in our hearts. That yes, we, we love God, we love Jesus, we wanna serve him, we wanna do all we can to worship him, but we have trouble with so many other people and it's because there's so much trouble within ourselves. It's entirely possible for that to be true. The Bible says that, that when we are in our sin, we are dead. That we're dead in our transgressions. We're dead in the way that we've stepped over God's law. We've, we're dead in the way that we've disobeyed him. We're dead in our sins. But when we place our faith in Jesus, he resurrects us and brings us to life. He gives us new life. But I wonder how many of us who have that new life are walking around as though we're half dead because we haven't allowed Jesus to heal some broken places inside of us. If you need to call out to Jesus for that very thing, now is the time to do it. We have the opportunity. I'm going to pray for us and, and ask God that he would help us to see Jesus is the one who's coming to help us by showing us his love. Lord, we are so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to be the savior of the world. We're so thankful that you have freely expensed the account of heaven to give everything we needed to be rescued, everything we've needed to be healed by you. Lord, I pray today that we would look to you as the one who can help us and that we would not be fearful of you.
We would not push you back when we sense you approaching. That we, that we, would, that we would not turn away as though you're going to hurt us like everyone else has. Lord, I pray that we would look to you as the one who can truly heal our wounds. That you pour sweet healing salve over all of our wounds and scars. And you make us new. Lord, I thank you that that's who you are. I pray that we will see it today and believe it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.